0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. This is the first week of Advent, and it's our last week until December where we're actually going to be in Revelation. So the sermon itself is not on Advent, but I want us to just kind of get our minds there because everywhere you look, it's like Christmas exploded all over the community, right? And uh, people are reminding us like, hey, it's that time of the year, and you're going to hear over and over You know, keep Christ in Christmas, and Jesus is the reason for the season, and, and all those other things, all those slogans, and listen, we don't want Christ to get lost in the middle of cultural things that are going on. He's kind of been absorbed into our culture, and even in some of our traditions, and sometimes people just, they lose sight of what's really important. We gather every Sunday to celebrate a risen Savior, one who came, took on flesh, went to the cross to, to take our sins upon himself, to take our punishment upon himself, that we would have new life, that we would be set free. And so as we get into Advent, this is a, a really special time for us to remember that, that we are telling others about this good God that we just sang about, who loves the world so much that he would give his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him could have a new life. And so what I have up here is, is something we've not done before because I've been told we're not allowed to have fire in church, and I'm, I'm breaking the rule. I'm going to have a candle, and we're going to have this candle lit, and we're going to have a fire in church. Uh, but we have an Advent wreath. And, and do we have any young kids? In the, usually they're in the second service. Um, we got a few Yeah, we got a few. Okay, you guys don't have to come up, but I'm going to ask you a question, a couple of questions. Have you guys as a family ever done an Advent wreath? Some of you guys, yeah? Okay, do you you have any idea what any of this means? Oops, that's why we don't do fire. That's why you don't do fire in church. Do you have any idea what any of this means? Right, it's not lit yet. We're good. And I'll be standing up here away from it. Well, sometimes we do these traditions, Right? we kind of lose sight of, of what these are. So I just want to, I want to remind us what these things mean because they have deep meaning. They're, they're symbolic. And so first, we have, we have the wreath. And it's green and it's, and it's a circle. Uh, the green of the wreath reminds us of the promises of God. And, and, and it, they're eternal. Like when God gives us promises, they're amen and yes in Christ Jesus. They're fulfilled. These promises are indeed secure in christ so when we hear that we can have new life and our sins forgiven and that there is a hope that comes with jesus like those promises are eternal and they are secure the other thing you notice is that it's it's an evergreen it's 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 green uh and it's to remind us that the promises are indeed always always good they don't wear out they weren't limited time only. It's not a Black Friday religious deal. You know, It's like God said, here it is. This is for you. This is, this is always for you. This has been given to you. Just receive it. The promises are amen and yes. They are green and they are eternal. We saw something like that in Revelation. Anybody remember what we saw in Revelation that reminds us of, of the green and the eternal promises of God? The throne room. Yeah, the rainbow around the throne room, and it had a green sheen. A, it was a green rainbow, but we saw all the promise. The rainbow was the promises of God, and yet there was, it was the fresh. It was always there, ever-present before his throne. So we have that. And then we have the first candle, and it's a purple candle. And it's, it's, anybody know what the first candle reminds us of? This one is expectation and hope and it's purple, it's royal. There's one coming who's going to make things right. And so Israel was given promises of one to come, a, a Messiah, a ruler, a king who would make things right, make things new. It is, it's purple because he will be royalty, and he will will come and, and, and re-establish God's kingdom and his reign and his rule. So there's hope and expectation how many of you guys went hunting on the opener what was the hope what was the hope huh To shoot, shoot a big one did you shoot a big one nope. nope how many how many had that story the hope was to go out and shoot one and we didn't get it yeah but we there was like oh it's coming and, and it's on the calendar, we know when it is. And it's kind of the same, like there was a promise given in Scripture, one's coming, they're like, it's on God's calendar, there's a promise coming, and the king is coming, and like, there's this hope and expectation. And let's look at Isaiah, this is a, there's many passages, but this one really speaks to, to the hope and expectation. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so there's this expectation and this hope. And so the first week, if you're doing an Advent candle, you would, you would light this, and you would let it burn. And we're just going to do it for the service, if I can get it to go. There we go. And I'm, now I'm going to back away. and Not touch. But you would light this, and, and when you look upon it, it's to remind you of the hope that comes with Christ's coming. It's the hope of the fulfillment of what we just read. It's the hope that God will make all things new and make all things right. It's the hope that the promises that he gives us are secure. And it's, it's not a hope like, I, gee, I sure hope God does it. It's a hope that God will do it. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will establish it. He will do it. And so this first Advent This first week of Advent, we are reminded of those things. And and then if we have some kids after the service, if you want, we've done Jesse Tree in the past, but there's ornaments that take us, 25 ornaments that take you up to Christmas, and you can color each one, and it takes you through the gospel story, it takes you through that hope all the way to the birth of Jesus. So kids, if you want a a Jesse Tree uh, handout where you can color some ornaments and put them on your tree at home, this is for you after the service. You can just come on up and, and get one from me. Okay, so this is our hope, Christ Jesus. And today we're going to look at Revelation 18, and we're looking at the fall of Babylon, and we're looking towards the second advent, when God establishes all things new, the hope of his second coming. And and so this will be the last of our Revelation series. And as we get into December, we're going to be looking more at the, the first advent of Jesus and and, and, and celebrating that, but today we'll, we'll finish on 18, and it's the fall of Babylon. It's the economic fall, and God has brought this judgment. And this is right before Jesus returns. So the angels are showing John something amazing. Shows him in 17, the, the one world religion, and it's, and it's fall. And in 18, he shows him the economic and, and government, how it's going to fall. And we see that Jesus is victorious over it all. and and so we have hope in this advent because the promise of the second advent is secure isn't that awesome we know he is coming because he came the first time and it was all established and he said i'm coming again and we don't have to guess other than when's it going to (laughs) be he will come pray with me uh, if you will father we thank you we thank you that this morning we can look at this uh, passage in revelation chapter 18 and we just ask, God, that you would help this passage set our hearts for, the, for this moment ahead, this month ahead. As we look at Babylon and the economic system and just uh, the greed and, and, and just the materialism and the different things that were happening there, God, we, we ask that you would search our hearts, that you would help us to... to to root out sin, to root out these things that we see that are, have taken hold of the world in this chapter. And, Father, that we would be able to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would walk after him, and that we would look at things from your perspective, God. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for hope. Thank you for Jesus, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 18, I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to go through it pretty quickly today. Um, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I'll go through sections as we talk about it. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 18, if you have your Bible, open that and you can follow along with me. If not, you can also follow along on the screen. This is John writing the revelation of Jesus Christ given to him, chapter 18, verse 1, it says this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice coming from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high in heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she gloried herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see." For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her Torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth all kinds of scented wool, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste." And all shipmasters and seafaring sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste." Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So we see here in chapter 18, it's the economic fall of Babylon. So 17 was the one world religion that came together. So, as we were talking about that, there is the, the rapture of the church, there's this religious void, and and the harlot comes on the back of the beast. So she comes in riding on the power and influence of the Antichrist and of the kings that are coming to take power. And she brings the world together under this one world religious system. And about halfway through uh, the tribulation. When the kings give their power to the Antichrist, she is done away with by the very kings she comes riding in on. They, they no longer have use for this world religion, and they want to give their authority and their power to the beast, to the Antichrist. He is to be worshipped. He is to be followed. He is to have no rival. And so in 17, it says that those kings turn on, on her, and they destroy her. And they give all their authority and all of their power and all of their worship to the Antichrist. And he comes into, uh, into power and authority over everything. And so you'll see that there's this religious shift from a one-world religion to worship of the Antichrist. So 17 marked that fall of what was happening there and how God had placed that plan because he said that, he, that God had put it in the hearts of those kings to destroy her. So God had that plan that this is going to happen and this is how it's going to work and they are going to destroy her and John got to see it and he gives us that picture and now he gets to see the fall of Babylon, the economic system. So all the bold judgments have been poured out. The angel takes John in the spirit and says, I want to give you an up-close picture of what happened and that's what 17 and 18 are. 18 now is the economic fall. This is at the end of the tribulation time This is right before Jesus returns, and this is when Babylon falls. We talked about Babylon, the city, being rebuilt, coming up out of the desert. It indeed is being rebuilt today. Uh, I showed pictures of Saddam Hussein's palace on the foundation of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, palace, and that they are actually rebuilding this, and that people visit there. I believe that Babylon is an actual city that will come to be again, just as the temple will be rebuilt. And so we, we see this in play through Revelation 17 and 18. And we see that this great city is also the center of, of this economic hub, of, this, of these processes, of these political things that are happening in the world. It, it is part of the systems and structures, but there is a city there. There's a city that, that all of this is, is kind of centered around. And so we see the fall of the city in these judgments. So, 18 is the second half of Babylon's fall. Verse 1, it says, I saw another angel. Verse 1 of chapter 17, we read this. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you judgment, show you the judgment. So he says, another angel, meaning like the first, another like the first, now some of thought this to be Jesus because of the glory that shines off of him and how he illuminates the earth. But what I what I think is is very much like we've seen in different parts of Revelation where John says there was an angel, then I saw another angel, and he differentiates very clearly about angels and the Lord. And so here he says another one came and Probably from being in the presence of the Lord, he's shining with the glory of the Lord. <laughs> you know, here he comes from the throne of God, and he says another angel comes, and this angel is shining bright. He, he he was made bright with his glory. The earth is made bright with the glory of this angel, and he calls with a mighty voice, a judgment, a pronouncement of judgment. So he comes and he talks about this destruction. So. Verse 2, it says, and he calls out with this mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So he's emphasizing the destruction, the the complete destruction that is about to happen. So he's painting this picture for John. He's showing him this, this destruction of Babylon and its economic systems. He says, it will be desolate. It will be gone says here in verse 2 as he goes on, he says, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, excuse me, a haunt for every unclean beast, uh, unclean and detestable beast. So he's talking about complete destruction. It's just utterly destroyed. And verse 3, he moves on. He says, for all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. So this is talking about the the, the spiritual side of things. They have worshipped the beast, they have worshipped uh, Satan and the and the beast, and they have come and given their allegiance here. But it goes on to say, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So they've become intoxicated. So. Here, he's talking about the economic side of things. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So they've become intoxicated with the desire for wealth and power and material things. There's a love for money, and it controls the world. People see the Antichrist as as a means to move ahead, as a means to to lay up treasures for themselves here on earth. They, They start coming to to him for in the system he's created to to gain more for themselves it's 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 greed and pride taking place jesus speaks to us a little bit about money and i i think it's important for us to kind of put these things in in focus because this season that we're getting into it's really easy to talk about Jesus and, you know, tip the hat so to speak or give the nod that, yeah, I love the Lord or whatever. But this is a season of materialism. This is a season of stuff and things and 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 what can we get in the midst of an economic downturn and people are worried about their money and they're worried about their stuff and they're worried about their security of things on this earth. And this is what this whole chapter is about. Those who had their security and their treasures and their, and their heart here was in, on earth and not with the Lord in heaven. Their, their treasures were not being laid up in heaven. They were being laid up on earth. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are right and our eyes are focused in the right place, which is on Christ. So Jesus talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus speaks really clearly. He says this is a temptation of the human heart to to be divided and to try to walk that line. So many people try to walk that line where they, they try to serve money and the Lord. And Jesus says, you can't do it. What's going to happen? He says, well, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Well, you're going to despise one and have great affection for the other. And we should have great affection for the Lord. And and should we despise the things of the world? Well, if they pull us away from God, if they become idols, yes, we we should say, this is not what I want. But is there anything wrong with money? No. But it has to be in the right perspective. And if, when it's in the wrong perspective, we love money and we despise the Lord. Why? Because we're running after things. We're running after the, the creation instead of the creator. We start putting our affections and our security and our hope in what we can do with our own hands and, and what we can accomplish instead of looking to the Lord to be our sustainer, our provider, the one who is our all in all. We look to money and self to be our all in all. And so here he says you'll either be devoted to one and despise the other. So what happens is when we're running after these things in the world, we become devoted to them. And whether we acknowledge it or not, they can easily become an idol. And your work can become an idol just as easy as money can become an idol. Relationships can become an idol. You name it, it can become an idol. As you become devoted to it, that becomes the number one part of your life, of your, the seat uh, who sits on the throne of your heart, the seat of your heart. What are you devoted to? That's what's sitting there. And so Jesus is saying you can't serve God and money because if God is sitting on the throne, God is not there. If money is on the throne, God is not there on the throne. You can't serve them both. So the question that it's in our all-in packet, I love the question, do you have money or does your money have you? I love that question because you have to stop and think. You're like, well, what, if I open my bank account and I, and I look at it, what am I spending all my stuff on? What comes up? You know, For some of us, maybe it's like, man, we eat out way too much. It's like, what am I spending all my money on? It's like, am I really working as hard as I work and spending all the time I do just so I can go to Culver's four times a month? Some of us, yeah. If you look at your account, what are you devoted to? What are you spending your money on? What are you you doing with your money? Does it have you or do you have it? Look at Luke 12, 48. Jesus says it's important how we handle money. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So as God blesses us, as he gives to us, as much is given to you, much is required. And let's be honest, God, in his grace and mercy, some, he's given a lot. And it's not for us to to be judgmental. It says in Deuteronomy that he allows men to obtain wealth and and, and procure wealth. It's not a bad thing to, to have money. It's not a bad thing to make money. If it's in the right perspective, if it's in the right place, if it's not the God of your life, God sometimes gives much to people. They handle it well. And they give generously, and they live generously, and they see it as something that God has provided, and they use it in the right ways for His glory, for His kingdom. It it brings a lot of joy. It helps. It serves. It's, It's put in the right spot. It's under the lordship of God. But as we are given it, we're going to be required to give an account of it as we have been given, as we acquire, as we have in this world, as God gives to us, one day we will stand before the Lord. and He's going to say, what have you done with the things that you were given to you? How did you steward that? How did you manage that? What was your heart posture towards it? And he's going to give, we're going to have to give an account. He's going to ask us to give an account. And so here we're seeing in Babylon that there's this, this love of wealth, these merchants are intoxicated with having and getting and having power and using it for their, their own pleasure, their own gain, their own advancement. So let's think of three questions, and, and I, I got these from, uh, um, from a commentary, and I just loved uh, these, these questions uh, that I got. The first one is, is this. Is my identity in Christ or in the wealth I have or the things I own? Where's your identity? Where's your identity? If, if we lost in the economic downturn everything tomorrow, let's just say, hey, it's gone. It, stuff happened, the stocks dropped, whatever. It's gone. Who are you? Some people identify themselves by what they have, by their stuff by the amount of money they make, by the job that they they have. That's their identity, not for us. For us, our identity is in Christ. We're his. We were just singing about that. I am who you say I am. Well, God says, you're my people, you're chosen, You're sons and daughters of the most high. You have an inheritance in heaven that's waiting for you that cannot be taken, cannot be lost. The things on earth may come and go, But is that who you are? Is it tied to what you have? If you lost it all today, would you lose yourself? Second question is, do I live responsibly within my means or am I so overextended that I live with fear or anxiety of making the next payment? Do I live responsibly with the things God's given me? We live in a culture that that runs on debt. It's crazy. It's crazy that the average household, I think, has at least $6,000 worth of credit card debt. That's just the average household. And for some of us, we're like, oh, that's not that bad. For others of us, they're like, that's a lot because you don't have any debt. But we live extended beyond our means. That's what that means. If you're living with the fear and anxiety that, are we going to make ends meet this month because I have a big credit card payment due and I have this Thing that I bought, and I have to pay on it, and I have to pay on this thing, and I have to pay on that. If you're trying to keep up appearances with the world, and you're overextending yourself, and you're living beyond yourself, are you living responsibly with what the Lord has given you? When we don't live responsibly, we become slaves to the debt, to the lender. We become slaves to those who gave us the money, whether it's a credit card company or it's cabela's and they extended you a credit line on that new fancy thing you bought you're indebted to somebody and so if we live responsibly within our means then number three do i exhibit tranquility or have peace and contentment with what i do have if we live responsibly we have tranquility why because i'm not worried yeah stuff comes stuff goes when I see people with that kind of just view of life, stuff comes, stuff goes. I, I just think this is one who is living within themselves, within their means, with tranquility in their heart and peace in their heart. They don't, they don't have anxiety about the next thing. They're not worried. So they, they're looking at money with these three questions. You look at money... And you have balance with these three areas, then here's the rule of thumb. If you have balance in these three areas, materialism or money will not own you, but you will own them. You will be Lord over them as you are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You will have control of your life and money and materialism won't have control of your life. The Lord will be honored. Well, here we see people that are just enveloped in greed, enveloped in their stuff. That's what they're living for. I mean, we read mourning and weeping because they lost their stuff. They lost their power. They lost their positions. They lost everything that made them who they are. So, verse 4 we read, Then I heard another voice from heaven Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And so God's people were called out of this system. They're called out of living that way, of being under that influence, of being under the the government of the Antichrist, of what he's doing. So God calls his people out of that system and not to be a part of the beast's schemes for controlling the world. Now God calls his people to come out in several places in the scripture. And he calls us to come out. We've been called to come out. John 17, verses 14 through 23 say this, I have given them your word. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, by the way. That they... and love them, even as you loved me. so here we see Jesus praying, and he says that we are called out, and we are to be in him and sanctified by his truth. but then he says he sends us back into this world, not to be a part of the system of the world, but to show the world who Christ is. and look at this last line I, I gosh, look at this. I, You could just meditate on this all week or for a month coming and think about the Advent. So that the world may know that you sent me. Okay, so we go and we talk about this Jesus who loves us and love them even as you loved me. The love of the Father poured on the Son. How does God the Father love Jesus Christ? Jesus says that's how he loves you. Have you ever thought of it that way? Like the way God the Father loves Jesus the Son, the affection he has for Jesus is the same affection he has for you if you're in Christ. He loves you like that. And I think sometimes we're like, ah, God's got a kind affection for me. He kind of likes me. We're okay. You know. Maybe you know I got a corny you know, disposition. He puts up with me. No, he loves you like he loves the Son. And he sends us back into this world after calling us out and sanctifying us by the word, by his truth. He sends us back to tell people that if they will come to Christ and come out of this world, that they would repent of sin and self, that they come to Christ, that his affection would fall on them the same way, that they have new life. And so here we see that God calls us out to come out and, and then Turn and speak to the world the truth of Christ. We are saved and then sent. Matthew five fourteen says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light. Look at Ephesians 5, 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. You have been called to him, sanctified, given new life, And you are light. You are light. You identify with Christ in such a way, when he stands in the temple and he says, I am the light of the world, those who come to him, who are transformed, who are in Christ, he says, you are that light. Why? The Holy Spirit lives in us. He transforms us. He sanctifies us. He sends us back into the darkness, into those who need light, to be light. You are the light you are it. What's the hope of the world? Christ in you. That's the hope of the world. And so you are the light. You have been called out just as God here in in 18 calls out uh, his people. He calls out the Jews from, from being within this system. He's calling out those who would turn and hear the gospel as well. But he's saying, my people. Remember, Revelation is dealing with the, the tribulation time period here, is dealing with the, the fulfillment of the of the Jews coming in, their hearts being softened, them coming back to Jesus as Messiah, them, the fullness of of them coming in. And so he tells them, come out, my people, come out. Don't be a part of this. The same way he says to you and me today to come out, don't be a part of the schemes of the world. Why? Because it's the prince of the power of the air who runs the schemes of the world. Don't be a part of the schemes of the world. Be a part of the kingdom of God. You are light. Be light those around you. Verses 5 through 8, we see this pronouncement that God will bring judgment and all who took the mark will be judged with her. He's he's going to pay back. He's going to pour out. Babylon will fall. The measure of torment will be filled up. In verses 9 and 10, we read this and the kingdoms and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say alas alas you great city you mighty city babylon for in a single hour your judgment has come so the judgment comes swift in a single hour in a moment it's like here's the judgment the bold judgments are swift And the kings of the earth see the collapse of the economy. They see it all falling. So those kings who gave their power over to the beast see it all unravel and all fall. And then in verse 11, it says this, And then the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. So the the merchants... In turn, they start to weep because their ability to gain wealth and their ability to have power is gone. The kings are mourning. Now the merchants are mourning. They're saying it's all been destroyed. It's all gone. Verses 12 and 13, we read this, this list of things, gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, All the scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. All of these were commodities to the merchant, right down to human beings. Slavery will continue. We should fight against it. But it will continue. Man will continue to do evil to man. That's a sin sick world. And God will put an end to it. And the merchants who sold all these things are now like, it's gone. It's all gone. All of this, all of this stuff that made me wealthy, all of this stuff that gave me power, it's all gone. And they're mourning. Verse 14 is a pronouncement. It says, For the fruit for which your souls longed has gone from you. There it is. The fruit for which you wanted, it, it's gone. All your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Complete destruction. Verses 15 through 17, again, the merchants of those wares who gained wealth from her stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Weeping and mourning aloud. And they're, they're crying, alas for the great city that had clothed in fine linen, that had purple and scarlet. It was adorned with gold, it had jewels and pearls. In a single hour, swiftly, in a single hour, it's gone. Verse 17, it talks about the captains or the shipmasters and the seafaring men, those who were making their fortune moving these wares. And, and, and getting it to place to place and bringing it into port. They made a fortune doing this. And they're, they're mourning. They stand far off, it says in verse 18, and cry as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And it says they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out. They're, they're in sackcloth and ashes for their stuff, for their business, for their trade. They take dust and they throw it on their heads. As we read in the scriptures, when, when people sinned against God and they were coming back and they were repenting, what did they do? They, they tore their clothes and they sat in sackcloth and ashes to show God just how sorry they were, how repentant, how mournful they were for the sin that had, had come upon them. These guys are mourning not because of their sin. They're mourning because of their junk is gone. Their stuff is taken from them. They're Their jobs are no longer relevant. Everything's gone in a moment. They take dust and they throw it on their heads as if they're in sackcloth and ashes. They cry and mourn because the city that made them rich is gone. What's so sad about this is that they're not lamenting. The kings and the merchants and the shipmasters and the seafaring men, they're not lamenting their their spiritual loss, they're lamenting their material loss. I mean, let that sink in. All these judgments, God is getting the world's attention saying, return to me, come back, be saved, be reconciled, be made new. Christ is coming, the end is very near, the king will return, as we read, the one of Isaiah will return and make all things right. God's like trying to get the world's attention and these guys are Mourning their stuff, not their spiritual condition. They're mourning the things they lost. Verse verse 20, we see a shift here and we see a, a contrast from heaven and earth. It says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Are we to rejoice when judgment comes? Yeah. Not because of the destruction, but because God is showing his righteousness and he's making things right. It should be hard for us. We should lament when we see judgment coming upon others, but we should also rejoice that God is a just God, that he's righteous and he's holy and he sets things new and he sets it to what it should be. And so here, the blood of those who were spilled, those who were persecuted and killed, he says, the angel says to those in heaven, rejoice, judgment has come, retribution is being made. All that is required of sin is being poured out. The judgment is here. So we rejoice in God's righteous judgment, not in the destruction. So yeah, we rejoice, but we rejoice for the right reasons. Verse 21 through 24, we read this. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Again, great destruction, a millstone thrown down. and this You can just imagine that scene of a millstone being thrown in the water into the sea and the, just the upheaval and, all, and that splash and just what that scene would look like. And he says... This is what it will be like for Babylon, this destruction. There will be no musicians or flute players or trumpeters or harpists. There'll, you're going to hear uh, no more craftsmen working in the city. The sound of the mill is going to be no more. There's no more lamps shining, you know, the nightlight and, and all that stuff, all the activity. There's no more light of the lamp. There's no more voices of, of, of bridegroom and bride, all the celebration, the celebratory Activities of man, none of that. It'll all be silenced. He says, "All of this will be gone." He says, "For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All the nations were deceived by your sorcery." It's a, it's a wicked thing what Satan does. Deceives you by his sorcery, by his his enchanting you to get you to, to want material things, to want wealth, to want this stuff. He, he deceives. He brings a great deception. It's, it's, it's this word pharmakia of sorcery is that to be manipulated by uh, like medicines or herbs or, or whatever. This idea is that they have been manipulated. You have been deceived. You've been manipulated. You have taken this in and it's all come to Nothing. It's all come to destruction. The, the nations have bought this, and this is what they bought, this destruction. And so here is that pronouncement from the angel. This is what it will be like. And again, verse 24, it talks about the judgment is because found in her is the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. So both the city and the system are destroyed and are no more. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-12 says this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We see that today. There's lawlessness at work today. We see the work of Antichrist. That means against Christ and the kingdom, but not the Antichrist yet. But he says already for the mystery of lawlessness is at work. Only he who... Now, restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill, look at this, with the breath of his mouth, and to bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. It may say by the radiance of his coming in some of your translations, by the radiance of his coming, his appearance. By the glory of the Lord, when he shines down, when he comes from heaven, by the breath of his mouth and by the radiance of his coming, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. At the coming of the Lord Jesus, by the breath of his mouth, all things will will be made right. We see that's 19. That's a preview of what we're about to get to after Christmas season. That's the return of the king. That's when he comes and the sword from his mouth comes and lays low his enemies. The breath of his mouth and the radiance of his appearing. As I read some of these things and as we're looking at it, there's a question that comes out. And I just I want to answer it, and I'll answer it the way I understand it. Uh, there's there's some back and forth. There's people who think different differently about this question, but here's the question Can someone be saved if they take the mark? If they took the mark of the beast, could they be saved? Well, here it says that they sent a great delusion i think those who follow the the beast and worship the beast and take his mark and his name and his number are sent a strong delusion and they they do not believe they believe what is false we see in chapter 13 verses 14 through 17 this it says and by the signs that it it is allowed to work this is the false prophet in the presence of the beast it deceives those who dwell on the earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So you have an idol that is alive, and you have to come and worship, and if you will not worship, it will kill you. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And so here in 13, you see that it is actually a conscious choice. You're not going to be duped into getting the mark. I know that some people are very... Very upset when we start talking about vaccine mandates and different things. It's like, is this it? Is this it? Or whatever. Is it a microchip in the skin? Is it a tattoo that I might get? Or is it this thing? And, And we have all this speculation. Listen, here's what happens the image of the beast is set up and it is alive, and you must come and worship. You must make a conscious choice to come before it and worship, and then it will give you the mark. And if you do not worship, you will be killed. And so you don't show up in front of this unless you're intending to take the mark. If you have second thoughts at that moment, you're dispatched. This is what happens. And so these people come and they take the mark for whatever reason, whether it's to worship or it's to just to go along, to get along. They take the mark and then Thessalonians says a great delusion comes over them. They are deceived and they go towards their judgment. Verse 14 Verses 9 through 11, we read this this a few weeks back. It says, another angel says, a third angel followed them, saying this with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. There is a moment where a choice must be made. Church, let me say this. Being in Christ, I think, will be raptured before you have to make that choice. Let's say I'm wrong and we go into the tribulation. You're going to know who the Antichrist is because he's going to set himself up as God. And he's going to say, come, worship me. Worship my idol. And you will have a choice to deny your Lord and go take a mark or to be killed or to go into hiding or whatever. You you will have a choice to make. These people have a choice to make. So I believe that those who took the mark are going to receive this punishment. It's not unlike what's happening now, but now is different. Romans 1, 21 through 25 says this. Time is God gives people over to the desires of their hearts. He gives them up to that. He lets them go for after those things. Can they be saved out of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not like this, but it's very similar. God allows that. He, he, if you want to go after those things, God at times will give people over. What does Paul say to the church in Corinth when there is one living in just gross sin openly and publicly. He says, give him over to Satan so his body will be destroyed, but his soul will be saved. Why? Because he knows the man can be saved out of it. He needs to come out of it. He needs to understand that he is being given over to that for a time. This is a different situation. We live in a time of favor. Right now is a time of favor. So it's not too late for your neighbors. It's not too late for your friends, your family, your coworkers. They're not too far gone. No one is too far from the Lord today. They can come out. They can be saved. God can rescue them. So we must not get caught up in the things of this world or in this season. Church, don't get caught up in this season. Walk with the Savior. Have your eyes fixed on him. Call people to come and receive Christ who came for them. Help people see that it's not about their stuff or that gift that they're hoping will make everything right and new. It's not about what they have. That's not their identity. Their identity can be found in Christ. And so for us, we call people to repentance. We call people to hope because there is hope given at that first Christmas for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this Advent, uh, that we can rejoice that Christ has come, and we know that he will come again. And so we pray, God, that as we uh, just reflect on this passage in Revelation that our hearts would not get caught up in the things of this world and the schemes of this world and we won't get caught up in materialism or having the biggest or the best or the brightest uh, arrangement of lights on our house or any of that stuff, but we would get caught up in Jesus and that we would tell people about the love of God for them at Christmas. So as we celebrate his coming, the first coming, we're so thankful that there is hope In the second coming, he will come again. He'll make all things right. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But Lord, if you tarry, may we go and tell others of how good you are and the grace that you have for all of us in Christ. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.